0: out with uh do you remember the first class you taught for improv
1: um the first class i taught i don't actually remember it was a sort of hobbled together i don't know what i'm doing thing that was sort of somewhere before i actually became an improviser and somebody said can you do a little improv exercise and i knew a little bit of spolin so i was like dabbling but then I think the first class I actually taught it was a workshop in in Washington, in Washington State. And uh, a friend of mine who I was in an improv troupe with in Seattle Goga said, Ah, I, you know, I have 150 students. It's just me. Will you come and help me do a workshop? And it was like a high school kind of um, community kind of workshop in, in Washington. So that's what I ended up doing. And I was thrown in the deep end. Uh, That was my first teaching experience that I remember, you know, because it
0: was. (laughs) That's so awesome. I love that. Um, I love hearing people's first, those first experiences because I'm finding that's a lot. That's the same for a lot of us. It's like, well, uh, they needed someone. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So I did it. Um, So did you, when you started improvising, though, did you think, oh, I I want to, what I'm gonna to wanna to teach later on? Is that something you thought about or is that came afterwards?
1: Um, I did everything the wrong way. I did everything back. I did everything the way um, you know, shake it all up. It's not supposed to happen like this. So I come from a really long line of teachers, uh, on one side of the family. Uh and as a rebellious teenager, I was like, I'm not gonna be a teacher. When I grow up, I'm going to be a performer or a veterinarian or whatever I want to be. Um, So I kind of rebelled against even going into education um, as a young actor. I was very anti that completely because of like the lineage. Um, And then I became an actor before I became an improviser. Um, I was doing some improv with a company in Galway, although we didn't really know it was improv. It wasn't proper improv, but basically we were improvising a lot of stuff and I sort of uh then I landed in in Seattle and that's I kind of joked that that's where the the fling became a love affair um I auditioned for this show that was part sketch and part improv with these amazing improvisers in the cast I hadn't no a clue what I was doing um but I got cast in the show uh basically on my acting chops and then um realize oh fuck I've no idea what I'm doing I better take some classes um and then as as I was learning my improv stuff I I find it and I found it, I still find it easier to learn as I'm teaching sometimes I mean I think we all do that we're like you know we discover things as we're explaining stuff to other people so I think really, if I'm really honest with myself, um, once I started actually studying improv, I think part of me wanted to pass this on or or play around with it as a teacher, I suppose. That would be the best way to say it, yeah. Uh,
0: when did you come back to Ireland then?
1: How long were you in Seattle? So I was in Seattle for about 12 years. Um, I was over and back a little bit during that time, but mainly I was based in Seattle, I was working as an actor, uh, I was working in a million things, but, um, always as a performer in some senses, not so much as a teacher. That was just a kind of a sporadic thing. Um, and I really just totally threw myself into improv there. And then I moved back here properly, um, back to Ireland about 12, 11 or 12 years ago. Yeah.
0: Cause, and there's still not, I mean, you guys are still, that scene is still growing and emerging, um, and whatnot. So, uh, so with that in mind, when you were like, okay, I'm going to start teaching. Um, how did you approach that? Because you, did, I, I'm assuming, and i was just ask: like, did you first have to teach people like what this was, what this even was?
1: Yes and no. Um, so when I came back, there was, so there was very little improv, even performance improv in Ireland, and it's still comparatively, um, like you said, it's it's it, it's a really popular, really you know, increasing in popularity by the moment, but um when I came back there was basically two and a half troops in the whole of Ireland. And uh one of them had been in touch with me while I was in Seattle and there were a group in Cork who are amazing called Snatch Comedy and um I think we'd been on I don't know if you were on the Yes And chat boards. Do you remember the days of yes and there was a internet forum? Yes. So uh, I was on that and, you know, oh, another Irish person. And, you know, these guys were like, oh, are you going to be home? Are you going to teach us? Will you teach us a workshop? And then like we had two years of when I came home from my, my Christmas vacation where I was going to go and teach the guys a workshop, but, you know, holidays and family and all that. So it didn't happen. I moved back eventually. And these guys were already doing short form um, and they're a really challenging group. Um, but there was nobody. I mean, they had clowning backgrounds acting backgrounds, lots of theater chops, but sort of hadn't done any long form. And they said, hey, will you come down and show us how to do long form in a day? I was like, no. <laughs> so so I did, uh, but I didn't. So we had this ridiculous workshop that was um, like a 10 hour workshop with me and them. Um, like muddling our way through this is all this is the entire world of long form in a day you must cram it into your brain now you must never forget how to do this this is all it is no it isn't so it was it was a terrible experience and a wonderful experience (laughs) at the same time but the guys went and you know they said great we'll take this we're gonna go and they sort of um they had an existing audience and they had to actually repackage themselves to do long form. So they repackaged it as hey, we're gonna try this new thing called an improvised play. Why don't you come and see it? Um so that was Snatch, uh and those guys, and they're still going strong and doing lots of improv and um in different forms. they they've moved moved some of them have moved on. Um and then I think when it came to Galway, uh yeah, there wasn't any there wasn't any improv. So I just started hosting really casual workshops. Uh, where people could come almost like a almost like a drop in class but a little bit more commitment um I should probably stop and tell you now that commitment in Galway is a dirty word so um the most the most you can get is sort of like don't worry you don't have to do this you can get out of it but just you need to give me a week's notice if you're not going to come so uh it's a very casual <laughs> city <laughs> um so I started doing workshops like that and then I started doing some workshops with people in Dublin who asked me to come up and theatre companies and uh, that's kind of where I met uh, Neil Curran who I'm, who we're both co-directors of the Irish Improv Festival and Neil came from a background of uh, his day job as business um, but he had a big interest in amateur theatre and I came from a professional theatre background and not having a day job. And we, you know, we had lots of cups of tea and pints talking about how the two always clashed and, and was improv a place for them to meet, um, you know, what the overlap was with that. So I ended up working with Neil, um, doing a show with Neil uh, in probably w- one of our most terrifying and memorable performances we'll ever have, which was on an island at uh, basically at a fat fest. And uh, we survived that, so we're still friends. <laughs> But uh, <laughs> out of that then, you know, um, I think we've had lots of conversations and, and Neil teaches in Dublin and I tend to teach more workshops and uh, at festivals um, and also kind of at for theatre companies and stuff like that, so... Um, yeah, I've kind of gone off on lots of tangents there for you to pick up on. Great,
0: though, but it's it's a lot of great stuff. So do you, how do you define your current teaching philosophy?
1: Um, I'm like, I'm really always, I know it's a cliche, I'm always discovering. I'm loving, um, I'm loving finding out new things. And I'm loving finding out being wrong about stuff all the time, being right about stuff all the time. Um, I suppose my biggest uh, influence my first sort of most intensive experience as um, taking workshops myself was with uh, Gary Schwartz, who was, uh, Gary teaches, uh, you know, he's a disciple of Viola Spolin. So that would have been, Spolin's work really influenced, I suppose, how I worked initially. And then of course, you know, you go off and you make stuff your own. Um, I, in Galway, I tend to literally be just, trying to find people who I can maybe give some improv joy or introduce improv to people. I mean, we're not at the point where we have enough people even in this city to do levels. I know Neil and Kelly and a couple of other people in Dublin are doing levels with people. Um, And we don't really, you know, I didn't have any level training. Um, My improv training was intense workshops, working with the group. Um, So I guess that's my... I've continued on doing it the way I was taught the way I've discovered it myself because that worked for me Um, it won't work for everyone but um, also on a practical level the way I teach levels won't work for me here I suppose so um, approaching work um, I like to do what interests me and I also if something sparks me in the world it will also influence i think my improv as well you know
0: yeah so when you um so when you are designing these workshops then um are you focusing do you tend to focus on then like oh this is something i just really want to explore right now or are you super like mindful of like oh these they're not ready for that so we're just going to do the basics of like joy and acceptance and, and and that kind of thing or does it depend on where and what you're doing
1: um i run an improv lab in galway and um I'd say 70% of the people are actors or performers who want improv as a skill set. The other maybe 30% are people who want improv but not as a performance tool. They want it for different reasons in their life. Um, And that's why we keep the lab kind of loose. But I think what we do is we go in and we play. Um, We kind of have some conversations about, you know, hey, today we're going to work on some listening skill sets or some storytelling skill sets. And it's a very much a play format. Um, if I'm doing a workshop for a festival, of course, you know, or it's for a different level or for an experienced group of people, um, not that you can guarantee that. Um, yeah, like, for example, I did a, a workshop a few years ago, a number of years ago, that I still do. It's ever-changing, and it's called uh, Walk Like a Woman. And it's exploring gender in in improv. And you know, depending on where I do that, who's in the workshop, that is a different workshop every time. And it's not an easy workshop. It has me coming out scratching my head, it is everybody else scratching their heads. But I still get emails from people who are like, oh my God, six months later, that workshop is amazing. I'm just realizing things about myself, my group. Yeah,
0: you have the um the benefit of uh you, all of you over there uh can travel within the EU, right? So you can go to all these like festivals in other countries and whatnot too. So I'm always super curious about like Yeah, if you're doing something about gender or whatnot, is there was there ever is there like one community that's it's really difficult to crack that?
1: And I mean, I was listening to some of your other podcasts uh, and I don't know, maybe it was Joe Joe Bill or something talking about it as well, that like you can get vastly different experiences of stuff like that, uh, depending on where you are. Like I I taught a workshop in at FIF in Finland a number of years ago and we had a lot of Eastern European people and guys in one workshop and then it was just a random split. We had a lot of women And people from the Netherlands and another one. And uh, that's part of what we explore in the workshop. Like, do you think where you come from is, you know, do you, you you know, there's also the phrase, like, I don't know if you've heard it, there's a masculine, feminine countries. There's a sort of identification of nations, uh, uh, sort of the standard thing. You can look it up on Wikipedia. But I'm, I'm even fascinated at the notion that there is that. Um, And also, what do you think you are? Who do you think? Do you think Ireland is a masculine or a feminine country? What about Germany? So we do some exercises that explores stereotypes, I suppose, as well. And, um, yeah, it's absolutely, uh, you can have some people from an Eastern European country who are, like, doing lots of really evolved work with gender. And then you can have people who are like, oh, I didn't know that I always, you know, pimp my 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 friend out as the girlfriend. Oh. And then you have these conversations from two people in the same group in your workshop going, yes, you always pimp me out as the girl. Friend. We've been improvising together for eight years. I didn't know this. We really had those conversations. It's crazy.
0: You know? I, I think that's so great though that you're 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 creating and facilitating such a safe environment that these that these conversations can happen. So how do you think you, What are, I guess, what are some tips to create that safe environment for people so that you can facilitate those conversations?
1: Well, I'm all about, um, I'm all about the really strict scaffold so you can play within it. And I think sort of setting some boundaries at the beginning of the workshop um, with everybody and really just sort of holding that space is really important. It's not as easy as it sounds. Um, like. we know this, but I think um, if you can hold the space and create a space where you're really, you're really allowing people a little bit of flow within that, but you're also really minding where it's going Um, like it's a very different conversation about gender, about diversity etc in Ireland because you know, even, let's even talk about race up till about maybe 15 years ago, we were the whitest country in Europe Um, just by virtue of the fact nobody wanted to come here and live here because we didn't have any money Um, and then we had the Celtic Tiger and it's like they opened the doors they're like, come in everybody and then they sort of went oh no, 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 don't go out again we don't like you Uh, so that's kind of I mean my partner I'm a a dual citizen with the US and my, my partner is American and just became Irish and that was a huge deal and a lot, you know, it's the same I understand it both ways, but even, um, you know, even in finding people to be in your workshops, to have these conversations, there are certain groups of people who it's really, we're not even close to including them. Um, because they're, they're just as a separation of community in Dublin, it's a lot easier. Um, Galway, where I live now, um, I'll just explain to people who might know it. It's, it's on the West coast. It's sort of, Portland or San Francisco of Ireland but um it's quite it's a city but it's it's not really it's a town we have a cathedral very arty town it's a college town got three colleges here so it's always been for the last five or six hundred years it's been uh it's had a lot of diversity in terms of finding a native Galwegian is quite difficult uh because a lot of people come here a lot of artists come here to live it's it's got a phrase called the the graveyard of good intentions (laughs) because uh, a lot of people come here and they get sort of lured into the magic and mysticism of the place and then kind of sit in the pub all day and talk about how great the magic and mysticism of the place is um so i try and get out once a week <laughs> to have perspective about the beautiful place i live in um but yeah it's i don't know i think um i think really especially for US, people from the U.S., talking about diversity, race, um, gender, equality, I really think a lot of improvisers have incredible guidelines or whatever for schools. They're coming up with stuff about, you know, inclusion. But I also think everybody is looking at it over there from an, a U.S. lens. And I think the notions of race and gender, et cetera, are quite different, looked at through a different lens. It doesn't mean that we, need, we don't have the same standards or we need to have the same standards. But we're just, you know, if we judge each other, if we judge the U.S. coming from our point of view about, you know, where things should be and vice versa, I, I don't think it's that productive. So I think festivals are incredible for sharing this... Um, You know, just having this like, oh, my God, this is an incredible experimental workshop. Even this workshop that I know really well is not going to be the same twice just because of the participants, you know, which I love. It's so great that,
0: yeah, uh, because it's very easy over here in the States to just do festivals in the States, not, not even to do festivals. Right. Cause we've got some really big cities that have multiple improv centers and multiple training, multiple points of view, et cetera, et cetera. So it's very easy to like never even leave that bubble. And then, um, we have, you know, for what we, uh, from a U.S. perspective, right. It's been a white male on stage and a, and a lot of us are like, okay, that's done. We don't, we don't want that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, cause Right, it's. I mean, because you guys are just a completely different. It's a different country, so there's different opportunities and different history and a different way of approaching things. And
1: yeah, and I, even with within, I mean, I know it feels like Europe is quite small, but to us, it's it doesn't feel like every country. And sometimes the flights, I can fly to New York cheaper than I can to fly to some European countries. That's just the way it is. It's crazy. Um, but even within that i mean we have huge diversity ireland is is out on its own a little bit um but i think what's kind of unique about ireland and to a certain extent the uk is um i think we're influenced in a big way by both the european traditions and the us traditions so uh and that was one one complimentary thing we got about uh, in professor ireland last year was people just really felt that it was sort of the midpoint. And I think the guys in Iceland are having a festival for the first time this year, and they're selling that as their midpoint. So we might be fighting to see who's the midpoint (laughs) between the two places. But I really, even even in the value systems of, uh, and I think I might've mentioned this when we were chatting over email, the whole notion of um, how a festival is, there's a concept of there's a conference model for a lot of the festivals in the u.s whereas i come from a professional theater background and in fest ireland what we do is we we pay our acts we give them a door split so it's very similar to a um i suppose like a fringe festival model um so it's the notion of even as a teacher um There's a little bit, and I'll probably get into trouble with everybody for saying this. um, I feel like there's a little bit of a culture of teachers in improv, which I, as a teacher, shouldn't be giving out about. But I feel like um, as as an art form where you make money, the only place to make money to a lot of people coming into improv is either get a slot on Saturday Night Live or become a teacher. Um, I think that is drawing people into teaching for perhaps the wrong reasons. Um, I also think teachers who are not necessarily wonderful performers uh, are being excluded from festivals because people want bang for their books so they want superstars. And I also think some superstars who teach maybe are taking the place of some more wonderful teachers. So I'm going to get in trouble for all of that. There we go, I've said it.
0: And and this is sort of off topic of teaching in general, but as someone who... uh how do you guys then what's the discussion you guys then have as, as someone who who directs and runs a festival um, because there's uh, I feel like there's you're also walking a tightrope if you will right because you want to attract people to come sit in seats yeah right and you want to attract people to submit to your festival sure um, so so how how do you guys approach that then like is it through personal connections is it through like this year this is our goal how's that approached
1: um we're young enough as a festival uh we the actual location of the festival is a huge draw to be honest with you in itself people want to come to ireland and <laughs> um, they want to come to dublin um i'm a professional performer but pretty much a lot of the work I do for the festival is is just a love, it's out of love. Uh, it's not paying my mortgage. Um, so we'd love to be at a point where funding kicks in, but it's a catch-22 until we're recognised as as valid an art form as every other form of theatre, scripted, etc., um, funding is going to be harder to get. Not that funding is popping in the door for, for theatre festivals by any means. But so my goal um, as one of the festival directors is to um, just bring improv into the light in Ireland, let people see what it is. And I think by doing that, what we need to do is is show we have a sustainable model in some way. Um, We put a call out for shows. We have a really small submission fee, which basically pays for envelopes and stamps or the internet equivalent. And then what we do is... um, we, you know, we have a theater space that we like. We've just expanded a little bit in that. And, you know, people come, you know, it's some people are going to make a little bit of money. Other people are going to break even. Um, we pay our teachers. We don't fly them over, but we give them accommodation expenses and a really good split of the shows. So I think a lot of teachers who are teaching already in Europe definitely want to come to Ireland because it's um, it's just a really, I think... Last year was in the middle of the elections and we were just really feeling uh, lots of emotions going on and that sense of sort of global community just, I think it's really important that we can facilitate that somehow. So obviously it's harder for you guys to come over to to Ireland. It's more costly um, as a troop. Uh, But we, you know, I I think maybe 25% of our troops last year were from the US and Canada.
0: Yeah, last year you had a huge influx of uh the year before there wasn't many of us but the but last year your last November it was a large one. Um I know I keep going I'm like oh I want to go back. Um so how do you define a good teacher then? Because I don't disagree that people will go into teaching as a supplemental way to in for income. Um and they, that, that may be true and they may be a great teacher Or it may be that they're just going in for the income and they're not a great teacher. So how do you define like a a good teacher?
1: Well, if it's a question of uh, asking yourself that, that's maybe a place to start. Uh, Like, you know, why are you doing it? Um, And it's a perfectly valid reason to do it for income. Like you said, um, I think when you are lighting up When you see somebody lighting up when they teach, that's a really basic way to tell. For me, if somebody is at least passionate about their teaching, I think the lighting up thing doesn't really happen unless something amazing is coming out. Um, To refine that, is it going into the student? Of course, that's a different question. Um, To me, a good teacher is always learning. I mean, it's again, it's a cliche, but they are you you, you don't know everything. You'll never know everything. And to say, you know, everything, I mean, is immediately closing a door. So if I find a teacher who is, um, saying this is absolutely the way to do this, you know, something kind of dies inside (laughs) of me when I'm in their workshop, like go away. Um, (laughs) so, you know, it's like, Oh no, I'm ruined. Um, but it's also, you know, there's that whole thing we have of, you know, self-doubt, uh, as teachers and, and some of the most amazing teachers I've ever worked with or talked to have gone, oh, you know, I'm having this moment of, am I crap? Am I a fake? Am I making it up improv teacher? Am I making it up? Um, but, so there's a balance between, you know, and it's, it's a very irish thing to self deprecate um and i know it's it's very cult- you can see the cultural difference as well but having a confidence when you hit you know, when you hit those moments where this is something i really believe in having a confidence to do that i think i think people can see that in teachers and also like showing up being present basic stuff that um you know really wanting to be there at your workshop that's that's something i spot in teachers but um we were talking about this the other day, like I've had some teachers that I've had huge sort of arguments with I'm talking drama teachers and ever over the years and just have annoyed the crap out of me, but some of their lessons have sort of stuck in my head, and um also teachers I think who make you feel like they are talking to you in a group they're talking to you even if they're talking to the whole group, just that feeling like a really good storyteller will have of this is for you. This is for you to hear, you know? Um, I think it's different for everybody. Some people like the slick. Some people like the person with the gags. And it doesn't necessarily make a good teacher, in my opinion, um, the slick. But uh, trust your gut, I suppose, is my instinct teacher, you know? So as going
0: through all that, have you ever had to ask a student to leave a class or a workshop? <laughs>
1: I saw, I saw that as one of the questions, and I'm going, oh, God. Yeah, um, yes, I have. Um, I was doing a, teaching a workshop in Dublin, and it was basically like a, sort of a, an intro to improv weekend. Um, really mixed bunch of people. Uh, you don't really know a lot about backgrounds. You get an idea of if people have had some experience. And there was a second part of it where people had some, definitely some performance experience. And there was a guy there who was um, really sort of off in terms of when he would interact and would speak. And he wasn't nasty per se, but he was just, he was actually making people physically move away from him um, in the workshop. And it took me a good hour and a half to realize that he's drunk. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so um, it, the workshop uh, broke up uh, for a break. Everyone went for lunch, and he took a bunch of people to the pub with him. Uh, they were going for sandwiches. He wasn't going for sandwiches. So I sort of had a feeling. Now, he was he was sort of on the edge of just being, you know, somebody that you could just guide a little bit. But he came back um, after the break, and I just took him to one side, and I said, look, I said, you know, You've had a few scoops. it's early in the day um few scoops won't do you any good you're you're not going to remember everything tomorrow, so you're kind of wasting your money um I'll give you a refund and if you want to come back another time, just pop me an email. Never heard from him again so that was it
0: do you feel did you have you ever felt um as a woman like intimidated to have to do those things
1: personally for this particular instance no um definitely not and i i honestly this probably isn't a great thing but you know if i'm if i'm annoyed and i feel like somebody is really being unjust to the group um i feel like i am surrounded by a load of allies even though they're people i haven't met before i feel like if it's a fairness thing you know i have this i have this so. My hand. I don't. No. I. I guess I don't feel fear in that situation.
0: Yeah. That's great. I was. I was curious because sometimes I feel like um, uh, male teachers will be like, "Oh, I don't tolerate this, that, da da da," and I'm like, "Yeah, but you're six four and you're." <laughs> you know? um, so I just wonder sometimes, like, if a a woman also in that situation ever goes, mm, "But I'm not. A, you know, like I'm a petite little lady who may get." broken in half when I go and do this
1: no I have complete uh complete stupidity when it comes to like flaring up and uh, in life in general and like having arguments with people three times my size no unfortunately I'm not petite but I'm also not 6'4 um but yeah I definitely um uh, and maybe it's a maybe it's a flaw but I I uh, no I kind of if I really believe in something I kind of I tend to you know, just not necessarily confront, but I will, I, I'm pretty direct for an Irish person. Um, I guess we're not known for our directness. So yeah, I'm pretty direct for an Irish person.
0: So when dealing with, because they're like these, you know, especially a lot of times, like you said, like they're the workshops or you're just not doing a lot of scaled stuff and whatnot. When a scene, a cringeworthy scene happens, um, how What is? How do you handle it? Do you just stop there and have a larger conversation about it? Like, how, how does that happen? What is that, what's going on?
1: Just bear in mind and um, this, you know, I don't want to do sort of the, the young end of the scene a disservice, but I think there's a lot of stuff that's happening, particularly with gender and uh, commentary on accents or race that, that's happening in Irish improv that people don't even see as being an issue. They don't even see it as being offensive in any way. Um, and part of that is you know the lack of diversity maybe in groups so if I'm doing um if we see a scene it's getting a lot of laughs and it's sort of targeting a minority or something like that in 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 a way I won't stop the scene necessarily um I'll I'll at the end I'll say okay so what did you find funny about that why did you find it funny if it's if it's a comedic thing um and did anything make you uncomfortable? I just open it up with open questions. And generally, somebody will bring up something in the scene, will talk about it. Um, so I really just need to hold that space. I think people see stuff. And I think we don't give credit enough to people for for just kind of letting them figure it out themselves, you know, or getting out of their way. So, uh, And it's also, it feels more organic when people do that. You know, rather than me going, well, now you shouldn't have done that funny voice because the people from China are watching, you know?
0: Yeah, it's such a, it's so it's amazing to me. Like, it's, I've had a few people who've gone down a road and then, like, you stop and say, were you comfortable with that? And they're like, nope. I'm like, good. <laughs> right? Like, okay. now, now let's talk about why you weren't comfortable putting that voice on or something like that.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I really think it's a realization that, you know, not everyone has come to there like, mm, somebody didn't sit right with me in that scene. I was like, the scene where you were doing the really effeminate gay man prancing or, you know. Um, and and I mean, some people just really like that yuck, yuck, you know, gag-based, really cringy improv. Some people like that. And, you know, we all know people go to workshops to meet people and some people, you know, we, we intimacy is a hard thing to get to in Ireland. We just had a... Um, Kaisa Koko from Finland over, I brought her over to play with us in Galway and she taught an intimacy workshop in Dublin and it's really something I think that we could do way more of in Ireland. I think every country maybe has their particular challenges and, um, you know, we, we have a lot of women playing in Ireland. There's a lot of women in groups, you know. In fact, I would say, um, initially when I was starting a group down here, it was really hard to find guys so we somebody said oh that's really awesome you have an all-female troop and I actually no kidding hadn't realized that we had an all-female troop while we were putting together like oh yeah we do and then somebody dropped out they were gonna have a baby and the next person who I thought would have been awesome for the troop happened to be a guy so that was even a then we were like oh yeah maybe we'll will we keep this you know I'm like no no we need the best person for the group and that's sort of a reverse of everything that seems to happen other places you know
0: so so you guys in terms of intimacy there's a lot of people like just not like space like like not wanting to be intimate in scenes or not wanting to make those real emotional connections or is it too much of that going on
1: no it's I think it's not wanting to do true emotional connections and physical intimacy I mean you some people are not far from the the hand over the mouth kiss kind of thing you know i mean that's where where it's at now saying that there's a lot of people who want to explore, especially a lot of actors want to do more theatrical improv, and i'd be probably come from that school of thought so I think you'll you'll really see the different influences um when teachers come over you know. Um, teachers come over from the states and do incredible workshops and follow the funny workshops and whatever. You will you'll almost be able to tell who's drawn to what workshops, um, which is why I wanted to bring some of the European guys over to sort of put a different element in. Um, we've had the guys from uh, Teatro de Lognon over a few times. I don't know if you've seen those guys. Um, they do very physical uh, and also very connected stuff as well. Um, you know, we've had just teachers with different perspectives as well. Um, as a, somebody who co-runs a festival, I, I love to see somebody going, I don't know if I like that workshop, and somebody else going, that was amazing. Like, that to me is kind of a success um, especially for a young improv scene. I'm like, great, now you know what you like, now you know what you want to explore. I mightn't like that, but, you know, we should not all be the same, you know.
0: Right. Yeah. It gets very boring is what that happens. <laughs> um, so because, um, so I'm just, I'm, you know, like with the whole improv lab thing, then how does that work? Do you have people who are, who, as they're doing this, they themselves are like, Oh, I may want to teach. I may want to coach come to you. Um,
1: um, not so much teach. I like a couple of people, um, have ended up doing improv workshops, because of their day job, like one person who was in the group for a while and is an associate, he improvises with us sometimes, um, has assisted me in workshops and has gone on to do workshops himself because he teaches in a language school. So there's that kind of thing. Um, in the labs themselves, um, the whole point of it is it's not a perform, it's not an end goal, it's not a performance-based process but then out of that came basically my improv group because uh three or four people are like we want to do this on stage we're actors uh can we can we can we rehearse as part of the lab and I'm like no we're going to keep this very separate because I want this to be a space for people to experiment for people to try different things and then as you fall in love and evolve and move on and want to do more improv training absolutely I'll I'll take part in a side project so I don't think so many like a lot of people come to the lab are actors anyway who have a lot of theater training have gone, you know, from different schools who've gone to Lecoq in France who've, you know, done Mime School have done Meisner work. Um, so, they will always bring improv into their, um, into their theater work and then they may teach and then bring improv into that. But I mean, there are not really a lot of, there's not a huge amount of teachers in Ireland full stop, you know. Um, but a lot of people, like there's, Kelly Shatter, Neil Curran, uh, do levels. Um, other people do workshops. And, you know, there are people do a lot of different workshops. But, yeah, it's, it's – uh, we all know each other. <laughs> we all know each other. You know, and that's why
0: I'm like – because as people emerge, like, I'm just – you know, people who are going to want to become teachers, how they themselves are going to learn to be the teacher is what is just fascinating to me because it's still – so emerging, and like you said, you all know each other right now, and and that kind of thing. Um,
1: I mean, uh, I'm just trying, even at the Dublin scene now, I'm up in Dublin kind of once every couple of weeks, but you know, I know there's a, another teacher who's just come out, but he's basically done a lot. He would have come up, trained with Neil, uh, and then he's in, you know, doing a lot of theatre work, so he started teaching himself, so I think it's also... I think we don't just jump into it here. I think uh, because there, there isn't as huge a market for, there aren't as many people wanting to take improv. So it's not that it's a closed shop, but um, I think if you want training as a teacher, you'll be passionate enough, which is a great thing to go to festivals, to go to the US, go to IO or Second City, take one of those summer intensives um, and have maybe a theater background. So it's, it's not that easy to become a theater or an improv teacher here, I'd say, you don't just kind of, Oh, I've done all the levels. I'm going to do it. Or I think at least less people will do that than, you know, per capita.
0: It's it's, a, it's, but I mean, that can, one could say that's good too because then the people who are doing it are really truly doing it for the passion of the improv itself because they're finding ways to do it and get themselves better and stronger, et cetera, et cetera. So you could make that argument, I suppose.
1: And, and no, I do. I do think it's a positive thing. And when I was talking about that culture of uh, teaching, I suppose I was talking about it in a global sense, not just about Ireland. Um, I do think there is that. Uh, oh, I want to. You know, I want to travel around to festivals. How can I do that and be paid for it? Oh, I guess I'll be a teacher. You know, um, and I mean that wears off for people. You know, it'll. Some people do it for a year or two. It's going to wear off. Um, I think. Um, I think. The levels influence of the U.S. is sort of coming in a little bit, but also the European sort of masterclass workshop thing. Um, And England is also a mixed bag, although I feel like England has a little bit more of a U.S. influence. I mean, I'll probably get in trouble for saying that as well now, but But, I mean, I think the guys, a lot of the guys in London have uh, a lot more teachers coming over from the U.S., say, than we do. Um because there are more people, because they can teach more workshops. You know, Dave Roski's been here. Um I didn't get to his workshop. I only get to go for a pint of them and go away. <laughs> um, but that's okay. It's the same thing really, isn't it, Dave? No, joke. <laughs> but I mean a lot of the stuff, like I haven't taken his workshop, but a lot of the stuff like I didn't realise, like I bring viewpoints into my a lot of my teaching, and I didn't realise that Dave did that. I guess I should do my homework on other teachers more and find out what they're doing. But in a way, I'm like, no, I'm just going to be blissful and do my own thing. And then, and then, obviously, if I go to a festival, I love to try and take um, other people's workshops. I think there's a little bit of, maybe a little bit of snobbery around that in some circles, but there shouldn't be. I think, um, I think it's a, in some festivals, it's a question of time. You literally need to go for a sandwich after your workshop and you can't go to somebody else's workshop. Um, but where, where you can, I think it's lovely to, to go to other people's workshops, not to steal their material, because we all know the same stuff. And uh, it's all about how you do it. Um, I had a workshop, I taught a workshop once uh, in Dublin a few years ago, and a guy was there. He's a strange man um, who lives mm-hmm. in Holland. I won't say his name. I don't even know if he was a human being. He was like, he had this otherworldliness about him. Um, (laughs) and he said I'm here to take your workshop and steal everything you teach me and teach it myself and this is what he said to me uh, at the break and I was like that's fine I said but you know it won't be the same when you teach it and he said and he kind of wandered off thinking about that so that's good I gave him something to I
0: Right I have this conversation often with people because we talk about um, you know first of all we're all sourcing from this really the same thing uh, and someone can say that they're doing X, Y, and Z, and it's like, yeah, that may be intellectual property or whatever. But really then, though, who is the uh, person delivering it? Because the delivery system is what's going to make the biggest difference. So, yeah, so, so you doing your work is definitely going to be so different than that guy, even if he regurgitated verbatim what you did it's completely different.
1: Exactly. Um, and, you know, I do like to... I mean, this conversation's come up on... You've probably seen it on improv chat boards recently about um, do you give credit to where you got your information? And uh, I keep likening improv to Irish traditional music in many ways, but it, it's sort of like if you know a tune, it's sort of nice etiquette to go, hey, I learned this from so-and-so, and this is what it was called, or you know, I learned this from uh, a workshop in France. I've changed it up a little bit from the original because I want to give it this focus. So I like to do that. Um, but there's only so far back, you know, and so much you can know. I mean, I was doing a game recently uh, that I got from somebody else and somebody else thought they'd invented it. It's kind of, you know, I'm like, oh, no, I got this, you know, 20, 15 years ago. I don't think you invented this. But that's fine.
0: That Right, right, yeah. I There was once a person, it was a few years back, we were doing an exercise, and that person was like, where did you learn that? I was like, oh, I learned it, like, blah, blah, blah. And that person was like, oh, they stole that from me. I invented it. And I'm like, there's no way you I'm thinking to myself, dude, there's no way you invented that exercise. I can guarantee that that has existed in some form or another way before you thought of sure. it. Now, maybe you put a different spin on it. Maybe you renamed it something different with your touch, but you didn't invent it. <laughs> just...
1: Sure. I mean, I, I think I got cranky once about a, a, a game that I had given a really specific name to and made it really quirky. And then somebody took the really specific quirky name and turned it back into something original and it was people i knew and i'm like guys if you're going to call it that you better call it the original name please you know and that was all and it was i got over myself um after about a year so <laughs> yeah yeah i mean and it's again
0: it comes down to the delivery system of that um it's why i don't think uh, I mean, there's like we have here like um, comedy sports as a franchise, but franchising theaters in general, improv theaters, it's a super hard thing to do because it's the people delivering the message or performing the perf- shows or the style, et cetera, et cetera, um, that it comes down to. So yeah, it's it's fascinating.
1: Yeah, I'm. I'm- I mean I don't I mean I know a few people who've done comedy sports was in in Dublin I think I don't think it's in operation anymore and I believe the closest um theater sports is actually in I don't think there is a franchise in Ireland at the moment um which is interesting we were talking about that the other day um I I did a it came up a few years ago I did, went over and did a masterclass with um Keith Johnstone when he was in London um because i would sort of been raised on the diet of uh, I'll give you the analogy of potato chips. We have two flavors here: we have salt and vinegar, and cheese and onion. And you're either one or the other. Um, so salt vinegar, salt and vinegar. Oh, I'm a cheese and onion. So I suppose my first teacher was was Gary Schwartz, and I was all about Spolin, and you know they're they're all they're all the same deity at the end of the day. So, but I I had sort of Keith in his books had sort of clashed with some of the ideas I had in my head. So I kind of wanted to take a workshop with him just because he was this guru, this amazing person. But also as like, you know, does he disagree with himself in person as well? <laughs> so I had a most incredible time, um, you know, studying with him. I thought he was an amazing man. And just that whole notion of, um, uh, you know, just the concept of in a workshop, what, you know, what people are saying and, uh, and changing things on the fly and just really reading people and giving what's needed. Um, which is what I really got from him in that workshop. He was just giving what was needed in the moment, whether it contradicted himself or not, you know. And that was lovely. Do you
0: think, um because I agree 100% and I'm sure you do it too, like, okay, we're in this workshop, I should be doing... But this is what we're gonna do because Y is needed, and I think that's a really important tool and skill of teachers is to is to see it, to be uh, aware of it, to have the empathy and you know sympathy that goes with it. Um, but do you think that's something that people learn, and then do you think they learn that and hone it, or do you think it's something that's innate and then it just gets stronger as they go?
1: Oh God, I don't know because. You know, also to throw in the mix there is the whole thing about um, just the practicality of selling a workshop. If you sell a workshop with, you know, Guru Teacher X, and this is what the focus is, and I've traveled 300 miles on my plane because I really want to do this skill. And then you land in the workshop and Guru Teacher X is having uh, an orange day. So uh, they're their philosophy that day is we're going to throw everything out the window and this is what you guys need today so there's a fine line between really reading within the context I think um and I do think people have a bit of an instinct for it and I also do think it's something that you will grow to be comfortable with because it's also trusting trusting your instinct about you know okay this is my exact curriculum uh you know I've timed this down to five minutes you know I have German people in the workshop they're going to judge me for two minutes late Uh, (laughs) yeah let's get all culturalist here now
0: I was just in Miami and so like starting on time isn't I knew it's not a thing right but it's a thing for me so I was like I'm starting on time
1: (laughs) So I'll explain that so so I'm an actor my background is 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 as an actor so I'm generally on time in Ireland we we're not culturally the worst um in Dublin five minutes late is acceptable for stuff in Galway five minutes late is early so um you know it's all changed with with mobile phones and technology now so but I'm I'm a stickler I like to have theater rules for I like to have discipline because if we if we want to be respected as an art form, let's behave like an art form. Let's you know, let's not drink at the intermission of our shows. And I know it's a stand-up comedy thing to have a beer, but you know, there's there's improv. Let's have a you know, I'm not I'm not a guest. just just do your job and show up as as a performer, but also as a teacher. You know, I kind of expect a little bit of discipline, you know, and then have fun within that, you know. So to come back to what you're saying about uh, you know that that impulse or that that ability to change on the fly, yeah, I think it's both. I think you have an instinct for it, but it's also even if you have an instinct, it's trusting yourself to be able to do that, and that's learned. That's definitely learned, or
0: or it's ego, or it's ego. <laughs> also knowing that who you are as a teacher today, five years from now, will be very different than who you are. Yeah. And giving yourself some slack to to allow yourself to have that growth, um, yeah, I think so. Do you, what kind of advice would you give uh, someone who's thinking about teaching? Uh,
1: again, that question came up of you know asking your, yourself honestly what, why you want to do it, and be be good with your answers. You know, if there's any answers that are like, eh, you know, maybe it's a short term solution to something, um, but then just you know just be honest with yourself about that um also you know who do you like who do you like as a teacher sit down with the old-fashioned essay plan and you know write their name and, and do little lines why do you like what they teach what 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 about them attracts you and you know if it's oh this guy is an incredible presence he just has to put his hands out and I listen um is that something you want is that something you can deliver um and then I suppose, what's your unique view? What's your unique take in the world? Like, what, what, what makes you passionate is probably the biggest thing for me. Like, what are you passionate about in improv? Because if you're going to teach stuff you're not passionate about, it's it's just going to fizzle, I suppose, you know? Right. I
0: agree. I agree 100%. Um, where can people find you?
1: <laughs> Under a stone. Oh, yes. <laughs> me too. <laughs> uh, so I'll just plug a few things. Um, I My troupe in Galway is called the Sky Babies. Uh, you can find us on Facebook. Um, I run a night once a month uh, in Galway called Winging It uh, Improv. And that's also on Facebook. And we would love if you're traveling in Ireland and you want to come play and your dates coincide, come play with us. We'll find you a bed and we'll make you breakfast and... That's a nice way to have a little cheap overnight and go away. We'll give you some beer money as well. Um, so we'd love for people to come and guest with us there. Um, uh, Orlemcgovern.com is just, you can find me there. I'm somewhere along there. Um, I've lots of other side projects. I work as a, a storyteller as well. So I have a, a hybrid improv and storytelling night called Moth and Butterfly. And that combines basically the moth which you guys know, the moth style storytelling movement, and Butterfly, which is improvisation. So we improvise some stories too. Um, and of course, I'm co director of Improv Fest Ireland, which happens in the end of the year sometime, let's say around November. So uh, we'll be announcing that soon. <laughs> we just, we, we just want to nail down that we're all here and that we have a roof over our heads, and then we will tell you where to come and uh yeah we'd love for people from the us from i mean your podcast is going in on the interwebs lauren so people will hear it everywhere um so we would love people to come and we'd love you to come